So Lord, we just thank you for another opportunity to come before you, another opportunity to gather together. Lord, we appreciate and value and so desire to be with one another. And so we just thank you so much for this opportunity, God. It's not exactly how we want it to be, but Lord, we will be happy with what we have and uh, grateful for what we have. And we are not going to complain, Lord, and we're not going to be sour pusses, but Lord, we are going to be thankful for what we have. So we thank you, Lord for the things that we do have and for the time that we get to spend together. Please bless our time and bless the reading of your word and bless this sermon, Lord, in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, uh, this so the end of this month is our Children's Admissions Sunday. And for the last few times, it's just been a mission Sunday because we haven't really done anything with Children's Church. But this last week, I got together with our Children's Church leaders and we uh, are planning and devising ways to do Children's Church again, um, taking into account all of the uh, requirements and mandates of the law, as well as just prudence and diligence regarding health. And so we think we have a way to do it, and we're very excited about it. So what we're going to do is this Children's Admission Sunday, which is August 30th, we are going to relaunch our Children's Church on that Sunday as well. Yeah. So we're actually going to have Children's Church on that day, and then going forward, uh, we're going to do it every week, and it'll, you're just going to have to, how many you know, we're going to be flexible during this time, right? Okay, so if we hit some snags and we say, all right, for the next week we have to figure something out and we can't have Children's Church next week, that's all right, right? Everybody has grace for one another, but we are going to start having Children's Church every week now. John has a question. No, just the morning. Thank you. Good clarification. Only morning service is going to have Children's Church. Um, so it will be a Children's Admission Sunday. Um, I was speaking with a, uh, a man who I hope that we'll get a chance to hear from him at some point, um, not this Mission Sunday, but hopefully in a future one. But he was coming through town, and he said, can I have a few minutes of your time? And uh, I sat down with him, and he is the founder and CEO of uh, Compassion First, which is an anti-sex trafficking organization uh, operating in Indonesia. And he, is, uh, he was a four-square pastor uh, until he felt a calling to, to do this ministry. And so he does this ministry, and it's a, it's a great ministry. Um, and I was, just, I was listening to what he was doing in his heart, and it was amazing. And, um, and I said to him, I said, we would, love to, we would love to hear from you sometime. We'd love to you know, get you up here and have you be able to tell us exactly what it is that you're doing and give us a bit more of a, you know, of a thing. And I said, um, I said you know, Missions is such an important part of our church. And it struck me as I said that. You know, two years ago, we gave $2,000 to missions in the year. 2,000 years. Praise God for that. Last year, we gave $15,000 to missions last year. This year, we've already given $15,000. In fact, I think we're nearing $20,000 so far for this year. And we're only just over halfway done with this year. This church has an international impact. You don't realize it, but just being here, your tithes, your specific offerings, and just showing up and prayer and making this a priority for you and your spiritual life has an international impact. This tiny little church in Lincoln City, Oregon, is having impacts around the world. That's awesome. That is so cool. Yes, amen. Uh, and so hopefully he'll come. His name is Matt, and uh, good guy. I really liked our conversation together. So hopefully in the future, at a future Mission Sunday, he'll come. But that, all that's to say, please, please, please come on August 30th. 
we're going to be here. We're going to hear from uh, an ambassador of another missions organization called Open Arms, um, which is a uh, uh, mission uh, in Kenya. They have a village where they take in normally orphaned children whose parents have died from AIDS or whose parents are unable to support them anymore. And they take them there, and it's a whole village, and it's all self-sustaining and I'll let him explain all of it to you, but it's going to be really fun, and we're also going to hear from Edward, and we're going to hear from uh, updates from our other missions organizations that we're involved in, because there's quite a few. Uh, so please come August 30th, and we're going to be giving to Rice Principal on that day, too. Rice Principal is another missions project that we support on the 30th of August, which gives um, Christian literature in, in other languages. So praise God for missions. Debbie wants to give a shout out. Wait, 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 Debbie, wait. I wanna, we want to give on this so that we can get it. Because everybody online is going to be straining to hear. Come on, Debbie. Come on down. Let's hear it for Debbie Warden. Come on, yeah. Well, I was just thinking of missions. Come on up, come on up. And, um, <laughs> but I, I was in Oak Harbor this weekend with my cousin, and um, I met a lady from Belarus. Oh, she wow. was 15 years old, and she just started interpreting for a church group that had come over to Belarus. And she was like 15, 16. And now, and then she started traveling with them around the United States. And, um, and she became a Christian. Wow. Her mother became a Christian. And, it just, and I was just thinking the importance of mission and talking to her and just saying, you know, the importance, sometimes we don't think of that here. But just us giving and, and just seeing this girl now, she's, she's married, she has six kids. But just thinking, she started off interpreting for missionaries who went over there. And now she, and then she traveled the United States. And it just, and now that one life led to another life, yeah. led to another life. So thank you so much for giving to missions. Yeah, amen. Thank you, Debbie. We have, we, you don't quite know the impact. I think when we appear before God, he's going to show us the impact that we've had in our lives and the extended person that we've been able to touch uh, simply through our small actions and the way that we're living. So let's go to the Word of God. I do love missions, but we, we're going to get to the Word of God. The Word of God is also about missions. You know, God has a mission for humanity. God has a mission for the universe. He's got, he's got ideas in his head that he's investing in. Every day he's putting towards a mission. And his mission, if you want to know what God's mission is all about, you need to read the Word of God. And the Word of God will show you what God is up to. It's like uh, somebody I was, I was talking to, uh, somebody who they said, I don't know about reading the Old Testament because it's the Old Covenant, you know, and we have Jesus now, and doesn't that mean that we should, you know, just focus on the New Testament? And I said, I said well, how about this? I said, you know, can you imagine if you were dating somebody, all right? And you wanted to figure out who this person was. And you had access to their personal journals so that you could read them and be able to understand exactly who this person was and figure out their personality and figure out what they're like and what were they like with, with their family growing up and that kind of thing. Wouldn't you want to do that? Wouldn't you want to figure out more about this person that you want to devote your life to and spend your life with? Scripture tells us who God is. It's like, it's like page by page. You can discover his character. You can discover who, how he interacts with people. What does he want out of us? What's he up to? What's his motivations? What's he like? 
Figure that out. You can come here to the word of God and say, God, what do you like? Show me. Show me who you're like. So the Old Testament gives us this huge, it's like a long journal that God is writing about who he is. And you get to discover who God is through the process. So that's my plug for the Old Testament today. We, I think, too, too often ignore it or neglect it. But we're going to be in the New Testament. We're going to be with James. We've been going through the book of James, just start focusing on the first chapter here. And now we're in verse... 21, and we're going to go to verse from verse 21 to verse 25. So if somebody has it and they want to read it, you can read it out loud. I will read it if I need to, but I don't think we have it on the screen right now. So if you have it in scripture in front of you, you can read it. Sylvia, you want to read it? You've got to have a microphone, though, because otherwise they can't hear you in, in internet land. All right, there you go. Read it out. So this is James 1, 21 through 25. Okay. So, get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planned in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. But don't listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey... It is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sylvia. The first verse there is tied to what we were talking about last week. We were talking about being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And now James drops the other shoe. He says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Evil is very prevalent. It's prevalent in our world, in our societies. It's prevalent here in the United States, it's prevalent in Belarus. It's prevalent everywhere that humans are. It is prevalent. But the evil that James is talking about here isn't necessarily the evil that's out there in the world. It isn't the evil that's infecting our society. It's the evil that's infecting ourselves. And, and in some respect, that's actually helpful. Because you know what? I can't necessarily control the evil that's in this society, but I... I can control myself. I can control the evil that's infecting my own life. The evil that has crept its way into my own life. The evil over which I have control. You see, a lot of people are waiting for the world to find Jesus before they begin to work on themselves. And so they spend their whole time looking for the world to get better and get better and get better and all the time neglecting the evil that's already inside of themselves. They refuse to address that which has crept its way into their own hearts. God is calling us to a new standard of holiness. In fact, Jesus in the New Testament says this, You have to be perfect as my Father is perfect. You have to be perfect as my Father is perfect. And it's such a radical thought that it's something we immediately begin to deconstruct and cast aside and disregard because how could that be possible? 
And it's so intimidating to us that we don't even know where to start. And so, like so many Seahawks fans have found, we become armchair quarterbacks to the rest of the world because it's too difficult to get down on the field and work on it ourselves. Man, I'm telling you, did you hear the story about, uh, there's, a, there's a joke about a woman, you know, she's, she's newly married, she's meeting with her girlfriends, and they say, you know, what have you noticed about being married? And she said, well, that's the most amazing thing. It's the most amazing thing. My husband is, is probably the smartest football coach in the world. And for some reason, the teams, they never do what he says. He screams at the television, but they never hear him. Everybody can be a great critic as long as you're sitting behind a television set. As long as we are not the ones being examined, as long as we are not the ones in play, we are happy to criticize others. But James here points the finger back to us. Get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent in yourself. There was a a movement in the late 19th century. It's called the Holiness Movement. And there's a few churches that got birthed out of that movement. Actually, we have some in town that came from that movement. It was what's also known as the Second Great Revival of the United States. It happened about 18, uh, you could say, 1880s to 1890s, sometime around those decades. Um, And it was very popular and had a a huge force. And the Nazarene Church came out of that movement, and the Church of Christ came out of that movement. And uh, who else did? Um, Oh yeah, Pentecostalism pretty much came out of that movement. A lot of big churches came out of that holiness movement. And what it was was a call to holiness, a call to holy living. Phoebe Palmer, one of the theologians of that time, she said this, May I never rest till I have the witness of the Spirit that my heart is the temple of an indwelling God. I'm going to say that again. May I never rest till I have the witness of the Spirit that my heart is the temple of an indwelling God. In other words, I don't want to rest until I know that God is inside of me. And for Phoebe Palmer and so many other people during this movement, the evidence that God was in their lives was their life of holiness, was a life of holiness, of holy living. We have forgotten on some level what it means to live a holy life. And there's a, there's a danger, I would say, in that. There's a danger when it swings too far in that direction because then we get obsessed with holiness. We get obsessed with legalism. We get obsessed with condemnation of those who do not appear to be holy. We begin to nitpick ourselves and other people. That's not healthy. and I'm not interested in doing that. I'm not interested in preaching that. But I'm afraid at times we might shift too far in the other direction. Where it's only and 100% about what I believe and what I think cerebrally, and the gospel has no bearing on my life whatsoever. It has no definitive action in my life. So that it's something that I believe, but it's not something I do. It's not something I live out. And that, my friends, is just as dangerous. It's just as dangerous. We need to find a middle ground. Don't be afraid of the middle ground, right? Some people have been burned by one direction or the other, and you don't want to move into this idea of holiness. It scares you in a sense because you felt that heavy condemnation. I'm not interested in the condemnation, friends, but we've got to be able to find a middle ground. 
We've got to be able to find a middle ground. If we can't do this as Christians, how can we expect the world to be able to do this? We've got to find a healthy middle ground where holiness is a part of what we do, a part of our identity in Christ. And in fact, James is going on here. What does he say? He says, get rid of this moral filth and the evil is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Friends, if the field of your heart is hard, you cannot accept the word of God. Break up your heart. Allow God to break up the soil of your heart to challenge you in a sense so that you can receive the implanted word. And he goes on, do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks in a mirror and immediately looks away. He glances at himself and then he forgets immediately what he sees. Why? Because he doesn't like what he sees. He looks in the mirror. He doesn't like what he sees. So instead of doing something about it, he'd rather just ignore it. And he'd rather be able to tell other people, yes, I looked in the word today. I looked in my mirror today but it has no bearing whatsoever on his life. Mm. The word of God challenges us not just to think rightly, but to act rightly, to do right. It's very important. And I think maybe because of the fact that our society in general values education and, and values those things, we have neglected to consider our actions. But we are responsible for those things. It's not just about what you believe. It's also about your actions. In John, First uh, John, it says, how can you say that you love God when you hate your brother? Anyone who says that they love God and hates their brother is a liar. That's what it says. You cannot have both. You cannot harbor hatred. You cannot act with hatred and say that you have love. Verse 25, but the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, he's not glancing away, he's looking intently. Not just a cursory glance, not just a quick flash, make sure my hair isn't completely ruined before I go out the door, but he's looking intently, he's examining. He's looking deeply into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do so. He's not just glancing and looking and then stopping. He's looking and he's intently intentionally intending to continue looking. He's looking intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do so, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it. He will be blessed in all that he does. Theoretical correctness counts for little if one's life does not reflect the values that we confess. We need to hear, receive, and enact the word of God. Friends, the point of church is not to get you here. The point of church is to get Jesus out there. And I think, I think that's something maybe that we have mistaken about. I love meeting together and I love seeing all of you. But friends, if we meet together but Jesus doesn't influence our lives enough to make us go, there's no point. We are wasting our time. And so many people today are concerned about the church not being able to meet together. Friends, I am not concerned about that. I am concerned about Jesus going out there. And maybe on some level we need to learn that as a church, as as a global church, 
that we need to be more concerned about Jesus in our workplace and Jesus in our families than we do about meeting together. And of us not meeting together on a regular basis or meeting together with all these restrictions and blah, 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 if us doing that forces that question on you, I'm happy. I'm quite happy. I'm happy to be in quarantine if it means that we are forced to consider what it actually means to follow Jesus. So I'm not complaining about it at all. And I understand very much the frustration of it. But I'm not complaining about it. Because I know that the point of church is to get Jesus in your world. This is what Warren Wearsby, he says this. He says, we hold endless committee meetings and conferences about topics like evangelism and church growth. And we think that we've made progress. While there is certainly nothing wrong with conferences and committee meetings, they are sinful if they are a substitute for service. Meeting together is sin- listen to what I'm saying. Meeting together is sinful if it is a substitute for service. If our Christian walk is oriented around an hour and a half on a Sunday morning, that is sinful. It is keeping you away from fulfilling the mission of God to your world. Don't you realize that God does not need us here? He needs us there. And if coming here somehow placates us or pacifies us or puts us into a place of apathy where we are content with this being the extent of our service to God, then it is sinful. It is a poor and and irreplaceable substitute for service in the kingdom of God outside of these walls. We didn't always meet like this, friends. For the first 300 years of the church's existence, we didn't meet like this. This is not what we did. We met in homes, five, ten people in a home, sharing a meal together, praying with one another, reading a letter, reading a word, reading some of the gospel together. And the ministry of the church was done outside of the church. Do you know why Christianity spread so quickly in the first century? It wasn't just because the Holy Spirit was impactful, but this is how the Holy Spirit did it. This is how the Holy Spirit worked. Christians were merchants. And all of a sudden, you would, you know, Sylvia would be a merchant. She would sell spices or something like that, and she would get converted. And then she would leave. And she would go. She would go to Ephesus, or she would go to, to Philistia, or she would go to North Africa, or she would go to parts of uh, West Asia. And she would take her gospel with her. And everywhere she went, every time she set up a stall, Every time she talked with her neighbors, every time she did business, every time she sold somebody spices, Christ was in the air. It would be a part of the conversation. It, was, she would, it would just be a natural, because God was in her life, it was a natural part of her expression. And sometimes conversations would turn deep, and sometimes she would be able to actually lead people to Jesus. And then a month later she would leave, because she was a merchant, and she would go to the next place. But she would leave behind a church. And it would be a small church meet in somebody's house, maybe five people, maybe one household. And then that household maybe would invite another household to come and have meals with them. And that's how Christianity spread. We didn't have crusades. We didn't have big conferences. That wasn't what we did. See, we've, 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 we've deceived ourselves. Because it's so much easier, isn't it, to go to a Billy Graham concert or Billy Graham conference or campaign and have him preach the gospel. And have him do all that work. 
And me showing up, that's my job. No friends. No, that's not what God wants, I don't think. I think he wants you to be salt and light. I'm pretty sure. If I read it correctly, he wants you to be the salt and light of the world. So that means us. Mm. Receive that, friends, because none of that was in my notes. So that was all the Holy Spirit there. (laughs) Matthew 21. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 21. He has a... Uh, one of the parables that I love the most, it's a very short parable, um, but it's, it's one that through the years I've come back to. It's one of those ones. You have those verses in Scripture, you, just, you come back to them every once in a while, and you just, they just remind you of something. You know, they, they give you that spark. They give you that, that little spark. My, one of mine, I have several. One of them is Matthew 21, 28 through 32. You can write that down if you want, because they're not going to show on the screen. Matthew 21. 28 through 32. This Jesus, he tells a little story. He does this all the time. He tells little stories. He says, what do you think? He's talking to the Pharisees. He says, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. And he went to the first, and he said, son, go out and work in the vineyard today. I will not, his son replied. But later he changed his mind, and he went. And then the father went to the second son, and he said the same thing. And his son answered, I will, sir. I will, sir, respectfully. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, answered the Pharisees. And Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you that tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show you a way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. You worship me with your words, but your actions are far from me. How can I accept your sacrifices, says the Lord? How can I accept your sacrifices? They smell like the blood of your brothers. That's what he says in the prophets. Your sacrifices smell of the blood of your brothers, because you worship me with your words, but then you go out and you murder your brother. Jesus is not interested in word worship. We sing worship not because we we think that it does him a favor. We sing worship as a reflection of our lives. And friends, if I'm not living the songs that I'm singing, I don't want to sing them. I'm not interested in lying to God or myself. I certainly don't want to lie to you guys. I like you all. We need to worship God with our lives. We need to worship him with our actions. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Literally in Greek, which can save your souls. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says, friends. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do so, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, He will be blessed in what? In whatever 
he does. He will be blessed in whatever he does because when you begin to act out the word of God, not just listening, but actually acting it out, your will, your actions begin to link up with God's mission on earth. And friends, if you want to see powerful things happen in your life, if you want to begin to operate under the power of the Spirit, you need to stop acting of your own will and begin to link up with the will of God. Because God is not intending to use his power to build up the edifice of human creation that we are so interested in. He does not care about that. He has a mission on earth. And if we want to see God move, we've got to get on board with what he is doing out there. And so I want to encourage you today. It's actually an encouraging message. Now, you might think it's heavy, but it's actually an encouraging message. Because I think so many times we spend so much of our energy attending to things, attending to dreams, attending to the chaos which we see around us. And God is saying, no, 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 no. Stop doing all that. Stop expending that. Stop letting stress destroy you. Stop being so anxious about it. Stop worrying about the state of this world. Look into my word and start doing what it says. Ignore everything else. Ignore everything else. You're like Abraham with Isaac going up to the mountain. Do you remember this? God tells Abraham, I want you to sacrifice Isaac on a mountain. This son of promise, I want you to go kill him. And Abraham's walking to this mountain. He has absolutely no idea what he's doing. He's probably thinking, this is insane. This is crazy. Why am I doing this? And everybody, if he had shared those thoughts with anybody... I don't know who exactly he told, if he told anybody. But if he had told anybody, what they, they would have said, you're crazy. Don't do that. That violates everything. Don't you see that's wrong? And Abraham went anyways. He went even though maybe on some level he thought it was wrong. And he got up all the way to the point where he almost killed him. And God stopped him and he said, now I know you will not withhold your heart from me. Therefore, I will give you all these things. Friends, we need to have the same attitude where we are so focused in on the mission of God that we begin to ignore the voices of dissent around us. And people say, well, why aren't you worried about this? Well, why aren't you complaining about this? Well, why isn't this making you more upset than it should? And you say, I got my eyes focused on the mission of God, on what God is seeking to accomplish here. There's a peace about that. There's a piece about that, then that when Jesus is in the middle of the boat on the waves and they're going crazy and the waves are coming overboard and the disciples come down and they say, Jesus, don't you care if we die or not? And Jesus says, I'm not interested in the waves. You are letting your faith be destroyed by the waves of this world. And he simply stands up and he says, peace be still. He always had that power to say, peace, be still. It was the disciples who were freaking out. It's us in this time that we see the chaos of this world. We freak out. God, don't you care that we die? And God is saying, peace, chill out, man. Don't you know I got this? Don't you know I'm with you? Always. Has your faith been destroyed by a few waves? Be still. Know that I am God. Know that I will get you through. So it's an encouragement to you. I hope it's an encouragement to you. You don't carry the weight of this world on your back. God does that very well by himself. You just need to relax 
work out the word of God, stare into his perfect word, do what it says, attend to this, keep your eyes on the mountain, and when people come and they want you to complain and they bait you and they want you to get on Facebook and deliver a bunch of emojis, you just say, you know what, I'm all right. Got my eyes on a higher prize. Thank you, but no thank you. Let me pray for you. Lord, we come before you today in the midst of the waves and the chaos of this world. And Lord, I come before you and I ask that you would rid us of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent inside of us. Father, I confess, I will be the first to raise my hand and say, I confess that there is still evil inside of me. Evil that I wish I could get rid of. Evil that every day I give into in little ways. And Lord, I know that I am susceptible to that evil. I know that it still has, uh, in a sense, a foot in me. And Lord, I ask that you would forgive me for those things and rid me of all moral filth. I want nothing to do with it, Jesus. I want nothing to do with it, Lord. Would you take it out of me? I reject that in the name of Jesus. That's not what I want. I want holiness, Lord. Would you fill me with your holiness? Would you fill me with your purity, Jesus? Fill me, Lord, with your thoughts, with your word. And God, over every one of us today, I pray that we would reject the filth, the moral filth and evil that is within us, and that we would ask for your holiness, not in a sense of con- condemnation, not in a sense of nitpicking or of deciding who's in and who's out or who's more righteous or who's better or who's worse. That's not what we're interested in, God. All we're saying is, Lord, we recognize that there's still something wrong with us, and we don't like that, and we want it to leave. So, Lord, would you come and, and help us? Lord, would you kick that stuff out of our lives? Fill us again with your holiness. Fill us again with your spirit. Fill us again with your peace, Lord. Lord, we want to break up the soil of our hearts to receive the word that you have for us. Because Jesus, when the waves come and when the chaos begins, God, if I allow that evil to remain in me, it's going it's to upset me. It's going to distract me. It's going to reposition my compass. Lord, I need that out of me so that I can stay peaceful in times of chaos. I need that moral filth out of me so that I can be joyful in times of sorrow. So I pray, Lord, that you would give me your holiness, give me your spirit. Give us your spirit, Lord. Would you put it on every single person here? Everybody who says that they want evil to to be removed from their lives, Lord. Everyone who makes that declaration in their heart today, I pray that you would come now and take out of them all moral filth and evil and that you would replace it with the presence of your Holy Spirit, with your purity, with your holiness, Lord, with your peace and love and joy. Lord, we want to be the church outside, not the church inside. So equip us, we pray, by the power of your Spirit to do your work in the world that is around us, that we might be on mission for you. We command that to come into being. Lord, bring it here, we pray. In your name, Jesus, we submit this humbly to you. Amen.